This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, July 6. I'm Gavin McGough. And I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, remembering John Mansfield. County Parks Department shifts into high gear. Telluride is queer all year. And a mountain weather forecast. John Mansfield was an artist, outdoorsman, mentor, and from the moment he stepped foot in Telluride in the early 70s, a community leader and advocate. Mansfield, who lived in Norwood, passed away this spring. In remembrance, friend and poet Art Goodtimes offers the following recollections. A poem for John Mansfield. We made folks in this county get development permits, be it fixing a roof or replacing a window. But you just often die on us? No permit, no notice? That big, fat, Buddhist, almost circle of no thing? On the way home to Colorado from Cali, you knew the Heart Sutra. Nothing's permanent about a Zen cleaver. Chuckled along with Telluride when the blues lost the flowish floor. Got incensed when someone in the courts copped a raw deal. You took risks, worked with kids who said they wanted a lifeline, a new life, running them through the rapids to bond. I liked you best over coffee in the mornings, repartee at Mesa Rose. Veteran old-timers, ex-telluriders, feisty short-timers who loved a crocodile and then told great snapping stories. You took leadership, wore your advocate jeans, mixed drinks and mediums. Some saw you as a fine art cartoonist who illustrated our absurdities, watercolored in the silences. But golly, John, you took a damn quick exit after shuffling up and down Grand Avenue for the last decade, manifesting that intelligent calm underneath the masks. Coyote scholar, trustee, officer of the peace, tickling wit out of whim, fancy out of the commons materials. One fine spring day, all of a sudden, you spun on an eddy in whitewater and left us, leaving us now unable to imagine a Wright's Mesa without your ambling shoes, your tinkering humor. That was our good times reading his poem in memory of John Mansfield. What's up at the County Parks and Open Space Department now that summer's in full swing? Turns out there's quite a bit. Obviously, at the top of the list is the Matterhorn Mill acquisition. Um, As the county commissioners know, I am working with uh, the U.S. Forest Service on the acquisition of the structure and uh, the surrounding 20-acre parcel. We are currently in the appraisal phase for that process. 
Um, it is multi-year, so that will carry over into 2024. That's Parks and Open Space Director Janet Kask speaking before the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners last week with a mid-year update. The Matterhorn Mill is a historic mining building currently owned by the Forest Service. As Kask describes, the county is working to acquire the property from USFS and restore the mill as a historic destination with affordable housing on nearby property. The county recently received $500,000 from the Environmental Protection Agency for its various restoration projects with a specific focus on that particular site. Matterhorn is not the only ex-mining building on the park's radar. Cask turns next to Lewis Mill in the high country. Which is one of our iconic historic structures. This year, um, I already have a contractor in place um, because we phased that, phase one and phase two. We did the roof repairs last fall. This year, we're looking to do some interior structural stability repairs and also replace the uh, missing windows and uh, frame those out. So that should be all take place this year, 2023. Parks and Open Space is also juggling a number of trail projects. One of them is an upgrade to the most popular hiking destination managed by the county, the Bridal Vale Falls. The lower trail leads up through the rocks and forest beside Black Bear Pass, says Cask. And then you get to the base of the falls, and then we have the upper Bridal Vale Trail portion. So we're looking to um, have some steel steps constructed to connect the two sections and put maybe a platform deck just above the base of the falls to have it like a little overview area. So we're in the engineering and design phase of that. The steel steps and viewing platform could be completed as soon as this year, but chances are that project will stretch into 2024. The county is also considering a new trail running along the base of the canyon on the southern side, connecting town to the Bridal Vale parking lot. Right now, it's being called the Perimeter Trail. It would be a one-point-mile stretch of trail that would run from Town Park east and connect with uh, the county's Bridal Vale Trail. But there is a small portion that would cross over U.S. Forest Service property. That crossing of Forest Service land could delay the project for years, as constructing a new trail on USFS territory involves a significant amount of red tape. Cask says Parks is considering alternate routes to avoid those delays and get the project underway. The county is also closing in on a final proposal for the Down Valley Connector Trail. The feasibility study for that project will wrap up in the coming months. Amidst all these shifting timelines and long-term considerations, there is one project about to break ground, the Mill Creek Park, says Cask. And uh, I'd like to get it open to the public this year. So even if, as we're phasing it, if we at least get, get the trail in and some plantings, you know, at least get some picnic tables out there just to open it up and make it available and usable, and then we can phase it as we go. The Parks Department is also planning a trail going up to the Ilium Flume, a historic water pipe working on installing an ADA-accessible ramp at the county courthouse, noxious weed management, and partnerships with area farms to improve sustainability and soil health in the region. KOTO will continue to update listeners as park plans and proposals become realities. Telluride is queer all year. I think that Pride is so much bigger than June, and we should all, you know... Be proud of who we are and be people that we can be proud of all year. That's Laura Shawnette, a member of the Telluride Pride Committee, also known as Pride. This weekend, Pride is hosting activities to shower the queer community with love and celebration. 
starting with yoga in Town Park on Saturday, July 8th. Holly Sue Mann of Telluride Yoga Center is offering a donation-based community class um, for the LGBTQ plus community and allies. She is so thoughtful about just, you know, there's really mindful stretching, but there's also some like looking inward and kind of meditation around identity that she offers uh, and kind of leads the group through in a really beautiful way. From yoga, there's a sip and slurp happy hour at Bruno. We'll have oysters. Um, we're getting in from both the East and West Coast, and so we'll have specials on that. We'll also have some wine specials and some cheese and charcuterie if oysters aren't your thing. Um, and we'll be playing some music and just getting together. So we invite all um, queer identifying folks in the community and allies to join us for that. The Telluride celebrations come on the heels of a huge showing at the Telluride 4th of July parade with a giant Burning Man style bus decked out in rainbows, sparkles and enthusiasm. The turnout was so beautiful, um, both, again, of of queer folks. And then we we had kind of a a wall of allies leading the charge in front of us. And um, we just as a group of, of folks feel that visibility matters and it's really important and we want you know young queer folks not only in this community but visiting our community to see us and to feel safe and seen as well and you know sometimes you have to create those spaces to really make them happen they don't always just exist this year's parade flow is nearly a decade after the first just after the supreme court legalized gay marriage in 2015 that one was was intense. It was pretty hard. You know, we had a lot of folks in from out of town. I do feel like the queer community has a lot of support from locals in Telluride, but sometimes folks come in from other places and don't know how we do it. And, you know, that first year we got booed and we had a lot of kind of hate and slurs thrown at us and it was pretty intense. And then it was incredible this year that, you know, There were definitely quiet patches on the streets, but the locals really turned out and made noise. Seanette hopes the trajectory towards equality continues moving in the right direction. My hope is that that keeps improving and that the love that this and safety that this community, the queer community in Telluride can feel just grows. And I hope that you know, as as young queer people are growing up here and as the older queer people have been like showing up before us, like may we just continue to lift each other up and celebrate who we are and put love first. And um, I think that's that's my wish for everyone is that everyone feels safe and seen and heard and welcome to be themselves in this incredible place. Telluride will celebrate and honor Pride this Saturday, July 8th, with yoga in Town Park at 10 a.m. and a sip and slurp happy hour at Bruno from 3 to 5 p.m. The town of Mountain Village, the Telluride Ski Resort, and San Miguel County are conducting routine work to combat the spread of noxious weeds throughout Mountain Village. Weather permitting, crews will be performing weed control on open space parcels owned by the town and Telski alongside roads. Treatment areas will be marked with signs and flagging when work is being performed. Residents and their pets are advised to avoid the area during that time. 
Mountain Village officials note noxious weed treatment is crucial in maintaining the ecological balance and diversity of local ecosystems. Each summer, the three agencies take steps to curb the spread of plants such as Canada thistle, yellow-toed flax, musk thistle, hoary cress, burdock, and spotted knapweed. Give a person a fish, feed them for a day. Teach a person to fish, they could win a lot of money. The Ridgeway Reservoir Smallmouth Bass Classic kicks off this week at Ridgeway State Park. Each year, Colorado Parks and Wildlife welcomes anglers of all ages to catch a fish and help CPW reduce the population of smallmouth bass in the reservoir in an effort to protect native fish and water users downstream. The three anglers who catch the most smallmouth bass will be awarded $6,000. There's also $12,000 up for grabs for anglers who catch one of the 29 fish tagged internally before the start of the tournament. Anglers must drop the bass at the fish drop box next to the boat ramp to be counted in the tournament. CPW will accept either full bass carcasses or just the head if anglers want to keep the meat. CBW will use the carcasses for research. In 2022, anglers set a record with more than 5,500 smallmouth bass turned in during the tournament. The Smallmouth Bass Classic will run from 7 a.m. on Saturday, July 8th through 6 p.m. on Sunday, August 7th. All you need is a valid Colorado fishing license and a pass to enter Ridgeway State Park. Last week's U.S. Supreme Court ruling allowing a Colorado website designer to refuse service to gay couples is raising ethical and legal questions. Designer Lori Smith argued the state's anti-discrimination law violated her First Amendment rights as a Christian. She referenced a request for a wedding website for a same-sex couple she had allegedly received in 2016. But the Associated Press reports such a request may never have existed. Colorado Attorney General Phil Weiser says the Supreme Court shouldn't have ruled on the case. Unlike cases where you actually have facts that involve real customers and real decisions, in this case, there were no customers. There were no websites made. There was no business. It's unclear whether the state of Colorado, the defendant in the case, has any legal recourse. The website request was not the direct basis for the original lawsuit and it was not cited in the court's final decision. June was Immigrant Heritage Month, and the many celebrations that took place across the country happened amidst ongoing immigration debates. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KGNU's Kira Zizzo spoke with Emiliano Aguilar, an assistant professor of history at the University of Notre Dame. He is in Colorado this summer participating in a history workshop at the Center for the American West at the University of Colorado Boulder. So, DACA recently had its 11th anniversary, yet the program remains entangled in legal uncertainty and controversy, particularly in light of the ongoing border situations. Do you find it contradictory that the United States both celebrates Immigrant Heritage Month while simultaneously enforcing and passing laws that are perceived as anti-immigrant? Yeah, it's, I think it's super complicated, particularly President Biden's address note on recognizing Immigrant Heritage Month only references DACA for two sentences. And he remains very optimistic for a program that's kind of been stuck in limbo uh, since it was enacted under Obama's administration. I think, yeah, 
it's challenging, but it is also great to recognize as well and take time to recognize the accomplishments and benefits that were granted as a country, as the United States, and made richer by, richer culturally, uh, but also I think a lot of people look at it fiscally, but made richer by our strong immigrant heritage as a nation. On the topic of cultural accomplishments, you currently have a manuscript in progress called Building a Latino Machine, Caught Between Corrupt Political Machines and Good Government Reform. Now, in your extensive research for this piece, can you tell us about some generally overlooked historical events or figures that we should be aware of? Uh, so that, that's a great question. One that comes to mind is V.F. Garza, who ran a grocery store in my hometown of East Chicago, Indiana, which I write about in that manuscript. And Garza is an early civic political leader, as well as a small businessman. And I think he really exemplifies a trend that we see today. I mean, granted, I am I'm trained as a Latina, Latino historian. Um, so a lot of what I have to say about immigrants comes from that vein. But recognizing through like the Small Business Administration, right, that today Latino small businesses, Latina, Latino run small businesses contribute 800 billion. So, I mean, to think that all these small businesses that are in many ways a continuance of people like Garza, who his claim to fame in our neighborhood was chorizo like a, essentially a sausage salesman, right? I mean, he is part of this now long, rich tradition we have of lit immigrant, particularly businesses coming, building and making space in these new places for them and old places for us and really forging communities through that, I think are really neat, but also sort of civic organizations, political organizations are key. I'm constantly reminded of sort of my grandparents and their involvement in a mutualista in our hometown, you know, the UBM, the Union for the Benefit of Mexican uh, People, sort of translate to English very quickly here. A lot of that revolved around things like baseball, having cookouts, hosting the Independence Day Parade. And I think little things like that are such vibrant forms of making place, declaring presence uh, that we overlook. And so I think like there is so many like wonderful little things that we can talk about when talking about Immigrant Heritage Month that really speak to the rich cultural exchange between all of us. And what are some ways that we can continue to uplift and support these small businesses and this heritage while there's major gentrification going on? Yeah, I think first one of the key steps is recognizing how different it looks everywhere, right? Again, trained as a Latina, Latino historian. So looking at this as you know, Latinos and Latinos are either the main or the second contributor to growth in every state in the United States. I mean, here in Colorado, it's, I believe, the Argentine community up over 200% between censuses. And in my home state of Indiana, the Salvadorian community, and it's not just, I think, going to these businesses and supporting these small businesses, which Shout out. I did appreciate going to the farmer's market here in Boulder yesterday and having some delicious Salvadorian food uh, myself, but also wanting to walk along with and listen. Like there is, a, I think, a really strong point to be made about the empathy of listening and understanding the individual stories that will look different, not only state to state, city to city, but block by block, family fight by family. Um, and I think a lot of that is done personally. 
And speaking of these immigrant working communities, can you give us a snapshot of what these workforces look like now in the present and what we can expect in the future? One in five workers will be Latino, Latina themselves in just a matter of years. It's a relatively young group with a few exceptions. I believe it's the Paraguay and the Argentine community in the United States tends to be more in line with the median age of the average United States citizen. So that's going to be, I think, interesting. But also we have, I think, on the future to start thinking about and immediately now, right, the aging older generations of Latina, Latino communities and recognizing like there's going to there is this huge demand in healthcare and services, right? Caring for our elders, uh, that's a pressing demand today. As well as, I mean, these are this is a labor force as well. It's always gonna be prominent in agricultural labor, whereas that was once solely ethnic Mexicans. We've seen quite a divergence or a diversity in that agricultural labor force now. I think is very key as well. And is there anything else you'd like to add just on the topic of Immigrant Heritage Month and immigration, things that the public should know about that really isn't being discussed? Yeah, I think while the proclamation uh, delivered by President Biden is great, you know, we should recognize that this has been an endeavor made across the nation, whether locally, in our own counties, states, since 2014. And it's something that looks different everywhere, right? I mean, we have to recognize places like New York City, right, that has a Haitian Heritage Week. Uh, We have to recognize that, yes, there might be these national proclamations, but it's really on to us as communities and within our own community to understand how that's going to look for us, uh, right? No, I mean, there's going to be similarities. Yes, there's going to be ethnic immigrant communities that are Mexican or ethnic Mexican immigrant communities in several states, I don't know, every state probably, right? Uh, but the circumstances themselves are going to be different. And we really need to, I think, approach and lean into that specificity uh, to celebrate this, right? We should. We should want to know who lives with us, who our neighbors are, and we should want to welcome them uh, and be welcoming. We've been speaking with Emiliano Aguilar, an assistant professor of history at the University of Notre Dame. Thank you so much for joining us today. For KGNU, I'm Kira Zizzo. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for clear skies tonight with a low in the mid-40s. Friday should be sunny during the day and mostly clear at night. The high is around 80 with a low around 45 degrees. Winds could gust as high as 30 miles per hour. Saturday, expect sunny skies with a high around 80 degrees and Saturday night should be clear with a low around 45. This has been the news for Thursday, July 6. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Hello there, Kodo listeners. It's Sarah Holbrook, the executive director of the Pinhead Institute, based in Telluride, Colorado, and bringing STEM education, that's science, technology, engineering, and math education, to rural southwestern Colorado. I have some cool science stories for you this morning, all from the New York Times, Science Times. Um, The first is that the secret in the 
spots on the wings of the monarch butterfly have to do with who makes it and who doesn't on the long, long trip that they take. Uh, you probably know that monarch butterflies embark on one of nature's greatest journeys. They flap more than 2,000 miles from their summer homes in Canada down to the mountains of central Mexico, and only about 30% survive the trip. Now we know what might help them make it there. The edges of their wings tend to be slightly spottier if they make it. Um, and that's little white moths. You probably know monarchs are mostly orange with a little bit of black. But on the very edges of their wings, they have little white spots. And the ones that have more white spots tend, tend to actually make the distance of the trip. Um, and they think that it might be um, that it has a small reduction of drag on the wings that could make a tangible difference in flight capabilities. I think maybe it's along the lines of a golf ball and the dimples in them, but what do I know? Uh, anyhow, I think that's kind of fascinating. Another story that we found is about gravitational waves. And on Wednesday evening, an international consortium of research collaborators found um, compelling evidence for the existence of a low-pitch hum of gravitational waves reverberating across the universe. Um, now, these gravitational waves are probably the collective echo of pairs of supermassive black holes, thousands of them, some as massive as a billion suns, sitting at the hearts of ancient galaxies up to 10 billion light years away as they slowly merge and generate ripples in space-time. One of the physicists studying this, um, Xavier Siemens, who's at Oregon State University, says, I like to think of it as a choir or an orchestra. Each pair of massive black holes is generating a different note, and what we're receiving is the sum of all those signals at once. Now, what would this be without a story of AI? It's slightly different than the one you might be thinking of. Bennett is about to have our Science of Cocktails fundraiser this summer. It's July 15th from 6 to 8. And we often send people off with a recipe book of the drinks. And this time we're sending off recipes of some food too. And two of the recipes are generated by AI, of course, tested by humans. The third food recipe is from Counterculture. And all the drinks this year are from Wood Ear and Matthew Arnold. Please buy tickets www.pinnetinstitute.org, July 15th from 6 to 8 on Main Street in Telluride. Thanks. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.